And I remember calling you and just just feeling this this pressure of like, oh my gosh, I've just become a pastor. Here I am in this place. You know, my kids were just normal, natural teenagers, and I, I was just feeling overwhelmed with it. And I remember you just started laughing. I don't know if you remember this, but I called and you just started laughing. I can't remember. <laughs> and you started laughing. And you were like, "Jimmy, this is nothing. This is no issue." But something you said has all has changed the way that I parented. And you said this, your kids never have to qualify for your position. That's right. Wow. Let, let your kids wow, that's so good. be kids. Let your teenagers be teenagers. Welcome to the Built for War podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. So glad that you joined me today. I'm here with my friends, Pastor Jimmy Witcher from Trinity Fellowship Church in Amarillo and also Pastor Lee Cummings, Pastor, Senior Pastor of Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We're talking today about marriage and family issues. The, pur- the purpose of Built for War is helping us to deal with the real issues of our lives so that we can have a ministry that succeeds, that, that is victorious, and that we realize we're in a war, that we're in a war with the enemy, we're in a war with an evil world around us, but we have a mission to accomplish as leaders in the church, whether you're a senior pastor, pastor, you're on a staff, you're an elder, whatever your role is, we we have to win this war. The church is losing. When you look at the church in America, there are bright spots in the world, but certainly in America, the, the church is losing. We're, we're on the decline, but Jesus built us for victory. He said, you're the church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against you when you're the church acting like the church. So we're talking about real issues that affect us and real issues that are causing many pastors to leave the ministry and many pastors to fall, many leaders uh, to be uh, you know, uh, taken out and not fulfill the, the destiny that God has for them in ministry. Marriage and family issues, these are big issues. Mm-hmm. So Karen and I almost divorced after three years of marriage. Uh, I was in business with my family. Uh, and then uh, when I was 28, I came on staff at Trinity and Amarillo as a marriage counselor, mm-hmm. marriage and pre-marriage counselor, and uh, didn't have any education, but a lot of people came to us for counseling. And the pastor came up to me and at, said, would you come on staff to be a marriage and pre-marriage counselor? And so I prayed about it, and I did. Now, the Lord had called me to preach when I was 19, so mm-hmm. my desire was to preach. I didn't tell him that. But so after 10 months, he left to take a church in Florida. And the elders asked me to step in uh, to, to see what they were going to do and ultimately asked me to be the senior pastor. Well, that put a tremendous stress on our marriage mm-hmm. because of my fear. We did a podcast, an earlier podcast on fear. I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted it. I felt like God had it for me. Well, it, it caused two years of conflict between Karen and me. Uh, I lost two years with my kids. Mm. I mean, I really did. I, I was just, I, I was the last wrong with nobody's home. I'd go home just brain dead every mm-hmm. night. And um, the the stresses of that, uh, and I may tell that whole story here in just a little bit, but the stresses of that, it ended finally when I realized that my marriage had to come before the church. And see, a lot of times when you say, who comes first in your life, you say, God, well, a lot of times we think that means the church. That's, mean right. The church. That's right. God means my personal relationship with Jesus. If I'm a plumber, if wh- whatever I am, my personal relationship, then, then it's my wife, then it's my children, then it's the church down here. And so a lot of times pastors and people in ministry get that confused. 
I said, I had one woman one time, this couple came into church and he had been a pastor, but he was no longer a pastor. And he said, yeah, I pastored for like 25 years. And his wife said, that was his mistress. He said, that kept him from his family and from me for 25 years. Mm. Well, she was mad and she wanted to let everybody know about it. Mm. Well, that's the way a lot of people feel is that, mm -hmm. and a lot of children feel like the church took my parents away from me and they began to resent the church. So you, you and Kim have dealt with stresses and you mm -hmm. and Jane have dealt with stresses that the church has put on your marriage. Talk about, it. you know, the, a lot of people ask, cause you know, I spent so many years in business before coming into ministry. I came into ministry much later. Um, and they ask what's, what's the big difference between the two. And, you know, even when I was in business, I traveled all the time, traveled internationally. I mean, I was gone over 30% of the time, um, you know, working 60 hours a week, like everybody, you know, just a normal busy schedule. But the thing about working in the, you know, kind of a classical world sense is you get to go home at the end of the day and mm -hmm. it's done. I mean, you know, you get to go on vacation and you don't have to, you know, think about it. Not that you don't have stresses and things to do, but generally speaking, there's a, there's a clear separation between your life right. and your work. And, and we all work on that. You know, people talk about a work-life balance and all that, you know, you can manage that. When you go into ministry, that that's gone. That's I right. mean, there is yeah. no... Uh, you know, ministry is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's all the time. It's everywhere you go. You know, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the restaurant, you know, you're always, you're always on, it's always happening. And that affects the family that, that affects the ministers and it affects the family. And we've got to be aware of that dynamic and put some real clear boundaries so that we can have a healthy family. Otherwise the ministry will overwhelm, overwhelm our life. Yeah. It, the, you know, the, the thing that I realize is ministry is inexhaustible. There, you you can't that's possibly, so true. You you can't help all the people yeah. out there, you know. And if if you think you're called to be all things to all people, the the people that are going to get the least of you is your family. That's right. And but here's the, here's the other part of that. So your family fails, mm -hmm. you disqualify yourself from this. Exactly. And so they they push you, they push you, they push you. You don't have enough time for your for your marriage, for your children. Your marriage and family fails, and they say, you know, he was not a good father. She yeah. was not, and they start criticizing. So we, we have to, no one's going to protect my marriage if I don't mm -hmm. and my children. And so there has to be some parameters. You're yep. both very successful pastors, very in demand. How do you deal with that, Lee? Well, I think it's important to understand that from the enemy's perspective, if you're the pastor of the church, you're the head pin. You know, you think That's about right. bowling, you're the head pin. If he yeah. can take you out, yeah. how many how many disasters have we seen even, you know, over mm -hmm. the last couple of years? Bill Hybels, Ravi Zacharias, yeah. and even, you know, the Hillsong uh, debacle that's right. come out of Carl Lentz and mm -hmm. other names. And I'm saying these names openly because the mainstream media oh, yeah, is celebrating these yeah. things. And uh, th these men did not lack anointing. They did not lack gifting, charisma, wisdom, or brilliance, they all had a fatal flaw. And the fatal flaw was they were blinded to the fact that the target of the enemy was their marriage and their family. That's exactly right. Because if you could take out your marriage and your family, it's hitting the head pin and knocking all of the rest of the ministry and ultimately impacting the name of Jesus. And so I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, the, I, I've got to get better at my preaching. and Or if my preaching was better, we'd be stronger. Or if our guest central was stronger. Or if our youth ministry. No, we don't give that amount of attention to building strong four to five 
marriages and families. Because if we did, all the other things are impacted by that one thing. Absolutely. And that's where the anointing flows from. That's the right. integrity that you have privately is the anointing you have publicly. And I tell people this as the pastors, I say there's too much water at church to leave home thirsty. And so when you're not getting your ego needs met at home, when you're not getting your sexual needs met at home, you're not getting, you know, you're, you're just, you don't, you're not fulfilled when you leave home. You're going to come up to the church and you're going to be sexually yeah. tempted. You're, you're going to be, you know, I had, I had a guy that worked for me and he was the most, uh, his wife was very disrespectful of him, uh, just openly disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And he came to church and his whole job at church was to be liked by everybody at church. Hmm. And I told him one day, I said, you know, you're everybody's friend. I said, but you won't, you don't do the hard thing as a staff member. You'll never do anything that you think is going to bother somebody else. And I said, and it makes you useless as an employee because wow. if there's anything hard to do, the rest of us have to do it. But he was so ego driven. Well, so the, the thing was he needed to get his marriage fixed. Now, ultimately he did, but uh, he was, he was taking an unmet need from home and bringing it to church. That's what causes moral failure. Mm -hmm. That's what causes failure of ministry and things like that. Mm -hmm. So the the vision, we teach people how to have a marriage or have a vision retreat for your marriage. This is the vision retreat guidebook we have here at Exo Marriage. If you don't have a vision retreat for your marriage, you need to have a vision retreat for That's your marriage. Right. It's one of the most important things you do for your marriage. Is so. But here's what I say. The vision of your marriage is more important than the vision of the church. That's right. Yeah. That's it, so true. It, it has to A lot of times the marriage gets drugged behind the truck and the truck is the church. And we have a vision for the church and we have all these programs at the church and our families get drugged behind it. No, 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 no. We have a vision for our marriage and the vision for our marriage helps to find the vision for the church. I'm talking about a senior pastor. Yeah. But if you're, but let's just say that you're uh, on staff at a church and you have a vision for your marriage, but the vision for the church doesn't yeah. coincide. You're at the wrong church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The vision for your marriage defines the the church and, and where you work and things like that. So rather than allowing the church, fam families just get, church families and, and senior pastor families used to chewed up because the church becomes their whole world. You know, yeah. I, I want to jump in here real quick because <clears throat> the reason why you and I know each other, I didn't have the benefit of, you know, <laughs> serving in Amarillo. I was in Michigan, and he used right. to come to Michigan yeah. uh, and preach. And the church, Jane and I, we were newly married, I think six months. And you came for the first time to the church we were at, and you were teaching marriage on the rock. Mm. Yeah. Still remember what you were wearing. You had a coral-colored <laughs> Ralph Lauren polo shirt on, khaki pants. I'll never forget that. That's awesome. And I was sitting in the front row listening to you. And my background was my dad left when I was nine months old. He was married and divorced four times. Wow. Uh, so I had a, a, a train wreck of seeing uh, unhealthy marriage. And I knew I had a call on my life. I knew I was about to plant a church. Jane and I had been married six months. She came from a great family. Uh, and when you begin to teach on marriage and having a vision for your marriage and the five five laws of marriage to me that was like it was it was the first time in my life I'd ever heard that type of thing and it was all brand new to me and I, I took copious notes and it was the first time that hope ever entered into my heart because I had a deep fear and the fear was I was going to be just like my dad yeah. mm -hmm. that what if what if I end up divorced just like my dad what if what if I don't have what it takes 
to be a good husband. And when you taught, and I remember you talked about vision retreat, Jane and I, we've been married 31 years, but I think on year two is the first time that after you taught that we decided before we plant a church, we're going to go on a vision retreat. Wow. And that changed the trajectory mm-hmm. of our lives. I, I'm so grateful for that. I'm not trying to blow smoke at you here on your own podcast or our podcast, but, uh, but that changed, it changed right. the trajectory of our lives. And it, I, I think so many people don't have that understanding. They've been trained in how to hear God and get a vision for the church, but they don't know you, you're supposed to start with your family exactly and start with your marriage. Right. It's transformed. I, I spoke at a church last weekend. And the pastor who was introduced to me got up and held this up and said, this is the most important, because I've, I've written over 50 books. He said, this is the most important book he's ever written and talked about how much it's changed their life and everything. It will change your life. That's Absolutely. true. If, if you're a pastor, if you're anybody, and you start having a vision retreat, it's, it's the most transforming thing that Karen and I did for our marriage. But it makes sure that your marriage is first. So we're talking about in real terms. Mm-hmm. Okay, Because a lot of times people say, oh, my, my family's first, in real terms. Yeah. So one of the things, let's talk about kids for just a minute. You know, jealousy, The God. one of God's names is jealous. God mm-hmm. says, I'm a jealous God, capital J. Jealous means intolerant of rivalry. Well, our spouse, if I'm putting the church first, <clears throat> my spouse is going to get jealous. They're going to start complaining about the church. That's a warning sign. Well, children are the same way. That's right. So if our children, how do you build... Uh, and I'm talking about as a senior pastor, but also as a staff member. Mm-hmm. How do you build margin? How do you make sure your kids are first? How do you make sure your kids don't grow up resenting the church? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are church kids that love the church. They grow up. They love it. They, they become a part of it. Many times they come on staff. But there are also kids that never want anything to do with church mm-hmm. because church took my parents away from me. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things that that drive kids away. One is they they feel like their church took their parents away, like you're saying, because yeah. the church was number one and they were somewhere down the list. But the other thing is when we put pressure on our kids to perform a certain way that's exactly right. because we're afraid how it's going to reflect yeah, on us. That's exactly right. And I, I remember, you know, I think I'd been on staff for uh, gosh, not even a few months. And uh, and I don't know if you remember this conversation, but my, my kids went on a ski trip. A couple of my kids went on a ski trip, uh, a church ski trip, and they you know did what teenage kids do that was enough for me to have to call you and, uh, <laughs> and say, all right, you know, I got to tell you my, my kids. And again, you know, it was nothing compared to what I did on ski trips. But nonetheless, I, I needed to deal with this this issue. It was no big deal. And I remember calling you and just just feeling this this pressure of like, oh, my gosh, I've just become a pastor. Here I am in this place. You know, my kids were just normal, natural teenagers, and I, I was just feeling overwhelmed with it. And I remember you just started laughing. I don't know if you remember this, but I called and you just started laughing. I can't remember it. <laughs> and you started laughing. And you were like, Jimmy, this is nothing. This is no issue. But something you said has all has changed the way that I parented. And you said this, your kids never have to qualify for your position. That's right. Wow. Let let your kids wow, so good. be kids. Let your teenagers be teenagers. It doesn't mean we don't parent them and, you know, do yeah. the things that we would all do as normal parents. But don't don't ever say to your to our children, and, and I'm not saying we never did it, but we certainly tried real hard not ever say, you know, people are watching you because your dad's a pastor. Or people are watching That's you because right. your dad's an elder. People are watching you because your, your parents are in the church. You know, we tried to never put that on our kids. Let, let our kids be kids and create a culture in our church that honors children. Because I think another thing that we do in church, not meaning to, you know, it's kind of like we have the adults, so this is the adult thing, and we don't have this culture for true family. And of course, Jesus welcomed the, yeah. the mm-hmm. children. So we always had a rule, even when I was, you know, out of ministry and business, but the same thing in, in ministry. 
My wife and my kids are always the priority. My kids can interrupt any meeting. My kids can interrupt any conversation. And and I, what, what I taught them is they're welcome to come up. I may say, give me just a minute. I'm, I'm going to yeah. finish it. But they they were always welcome. We would never push them away. Yeah. And we try to do the same thing even with our staff and all their children. And now, of course, our grandchildren, which is yeah. a blessing. I've just created this culture. Let the kids come around and let them be a part and don't, don't make them feel like they're second-class citizens. Yeah. Right. Our, our kids... I had a lot of conflict. We we had a Christian school at the church for years till you shut it down. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm blaming you. But, uh, Julie and Brent, our kids, went to this Christian school, and the teachers were they were ten times harder on Julie and Brent mm-hmm. uh, because they were my kids. That's right. And so there was one one teacher in particular, and I I let them have it, and I said they're children. They act like children. They think like children. They're not elders. They're not pastors. They don't have to qualify for it. So stop trying to make it. That's right. And they said, well, they're your children. I said, they're children. You take the, I mean, I was so mad. And there, the the problem was not the people in the church necessarily. The problem was some, some of the the teachers and people around my kids. They, they're kids. And I protected exactly. their right to be kids. Mm-hmm. And Karen didn't have to qualify for my position. That's right. You know, I mean, she, I, I, she was a godly woman and she, you know, but it, the the pressure that people can put, and if you respond to that pressure, your kids are going to hate the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the other area that pressure is oftentimes applied in church is on a pastor's wife. Right. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, I think the hardest position in the church mm-hmm. is the senior pastor's wife. I agree with that. That's right. Because at least my job has a description to it. Yeah. And her job doesn't. And so especially, you know, in our, our world and charismatic type of churches, there can be a lot of pressure like, well, is she going to preach or is she going to lead the women's ministry or, you know, she has to be a certain way. And, you know, over 27 years, we've been in ministry 30 years, 27 as senior pastors. That's been the hardest thing for Mm -hmm. us to navigate. And I told Jane right from the beginning, it's Jane, uh, you're my wife. You don't have to do anything that you do not want to do. You don't have to lead anything. You don't have to say anything. If you want to, right. then I'll champion you. Whatever it is that God leads you to, I don't want you to avoid it. But there's no pressure on you. And I, I, I know that there are a lot of pastor's wives that feel that pressure as well. It's not just the kids. The people have expectations oh, on yeah. the pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. Karen, Karen did. Karen did not preach. Uh, I think we, we, we brought one message together in 40 years, but uh, Karen didn't preach. Now we did a TV show together for years, mm-hmm. but it was like this. It was just right. talking. Um, she did not do the women. She did the women's ministry a little bit. Uh, Karen loved working in the nursery. That was the thing she liked. She, she, held, yeah. she held all my kids. All yeah. our, all, <laughs> every, every one of them when they were infants. Yeah. yeah. She loved working in the nursery and, she, but she felt guilty and I, I didn't make her feel guilty, but she felt guilty. She felt like she was a disappointment. Debbie Titus, Larry, Larry Titus was the pastor before me. Wonderful man. Um, and Debbie, his wife, she was just, Debbie's just a ball of fire, you know, mm-hmm. and she's with the Lord now, but she was a women's pastor. She spoke, she was dynamic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She mentored and everything. Well, Karen, that was, Karen came in after her mm-hmm. and that's who Karen felt like she had to fill her shoes. Yes. And I had to tell her she didn't. The, the other thing is a lot of churches feel like they get two for one. Right. That's, and that's true. So wrong. And, and they'll hire, they'll hire this guy. Or and and they expect the wife to do this this yep. this, and I I protected I, I still protect Karen against that today, and I just tell her I, my job is to take pressure off Karen. Mm-hmm. I don't want her under pressure. I want right. her doing what she wants to do, and anyone who puts pressure on her, I get between her and them, and just let them know I. 
Yeah. You know, you're not doing it because people, we want Karen to come speak for us. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's your wife. We want her to speak. And I, and I just say, she doesn't speak. First of all, when she speaks, it puts our family under stress for three oh, weeks. Are you? Uh, so, <laughs> amen. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> so let's talk about um, building a culture of honesty and getting help in our marriages when our staff, elders, or congregation needs it. Now, a lot of what happens when pastors, their marriages start hurting is they they hide it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in fact, a lot of pastors won't talk about marriage because they don't have a good marriage. Right. You know, they've got so many problems in their own marriage. And I, I tell pastors, just show my just show my tapes. You know, if, if you're not going to preach on it, at least show show people someone preaching on marriage. But people need to hear about it. But we we have a culture of honesty. All of us mm-hmm. do. But at Trinity, Jimmy, if if a staff member comes and says, "I have marriage problems and we need help," there's no judgment, right? No, and and in fact, this really goes back to you know to you and Karen and, and the way you led. Part of what drew Kim and I to Trinity is we had just come, not unlike you guys, we'd been married five years. I left on a trip, knew she wouldn't be there when I got back. I knew it was over, and, and God miraculously healed our marriage. So we knew we needed to find a church that could help us grow in this area. And uh, and one of the things that shocked us was how honest you were with the fact that y'all had problems. And what that did, just as as you being the senior leader expressing, hey, we had to work through things. You know, Kim and I have to go on it. We don't have to. We, we go on a vision retreat every year because we, we know the benefit that comes in that. And we share that with our staff and congregation. And so in having that culture of honesty and openness, you know, James 5 tells us what confess our sins one to another yeah. and pray for one another that we might be healed. Yeah. But in the church, sometimes we have this culture of you better not confess because if you right. confess, the, yeah. the hammer is going to come down. Yeah. And, and so we actually have an unbiblical view of people expressing their problems. And so it, it's important, you know, we, we have a culture where we'll pay for counseling. We'll, we'll counsel you. We'll pay for professional counseling. Uh, we'll send them, um, you're probably going to say this, but we'll send them to EXO yeah. Mediation uh, here down in South Lake, Texas, which is amazing. Kim and I have gone to counseling. I mean, all of those things are so important that we we help people get the help that they need and we prioritize their marriage. Because here's the deal. If, if a marriage is struggling, you're not getting the best out of whoever That's you have. That's exactly right. And uh, and so we need yeah. to help them and, and make sure we're there to help them get that marriage where it needs to be. And, and a lot of people would say, well, I don't want everybody knowing my problems. Well, like I said, XO Marriage, you know, we, we do, uh, and we have on our xomarriage.com website, we have our mediation there. But if you're a pastor, we, by the way, we do on phone, we do Zoom, we do in person, but you can get help right there where you are mm-hmm. without the people in your church knowing your specific details mm-hmm. of your issues. But we in in Trinity we we uh, corrected people for not being honest. That's exactly yeah. right. Not for being honest because <clears throat> we wanted a culture of honesty. And if you were saying, "Hey, I'm struggling with porn, and we're having a problem in our marriage, whatever," we'll get you help. Right. You know. Okay. Now, if you've been committing adultery for six months, that's you let the problem go on too long. <laughs> yeah. So now yeah. there are consequences that'll be dealt with. Now there's going to be some. Yeah. But there is no judgment on having problems. There's no judgment on struggling because people struggle. What the world hates is this cheesy plastic church that pretends it doesn't have problems. Mm-hmm. That's right. We have the same problems everybody else has. We just have a different solution. Yeah. And we have a culture. When you build a culture of honesty, beginning with the pastor, mm-hmm. you have a culture of honesty. It allows people to get help when they need it. That's right. Yeah. One of the qualifications to be a leader in the church is that your household's in order. That's, That's right. right. And so if you 
it, it's not a question of if you're going to have seasons of of conflict or differencing differences of opinion. It's just it's when's it going to happen, and yeah. if you don't deal with it and you're not honest with it, you're just pushing it down the mm-hmm. road, and it's going to get bigger. It's like a snowball; it's going to grow. You know, several years ago, at like 2006, I experienced. Uh, depression for the first time. I had, I'd kind of gone through a season of burnout, experienced a little, uh, I didn't know what was going on. I was de- depressed. I was sad. I'd, I wanted to quit ministry. And uh, Jane didn't know how to respond to that. Mm-hmm. Jane thought, you know, you're the one that got me into this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only in this because of you. And, and now here you are, you're falling apart. And so she didn't like me and we weren't talking and our marriage was it, it, we were we were really experiencing pressure of that. And in that moment, I did two things. The first thing that I did was I called my overseers and I just was honest with them. And I just said, look, uh, I'm not doing good. Jane and I are not doing good and we need help. The second thing that we did was we went to counseling mm-hmm. and we went through a three-day intensive at a, a ministry in Ohio that works specifically with pastors and missionaries in their marriage. And and that was helpful. But then, you know, we really leaned into each other. We recognized in that season, it's like, we don't like each other, but we're committed to one another. Yeah, and good. we're committed to getting resolution to these issues. And that was huge. It was important because we came out of that season. And in the moment, it felt like, Oh, our marriage isn't working. And I was still, we were still doing ministry, but we were open and honest with the elders and everybody about that. But we came through it stronger on the other side. And, you know, not right away, but years yeah. later, we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me how many people in our church will come up and say, when we heard that you and Jane went yeah. through a desert yeah. season, that some of the very similar things we're going through, you guys have gone through and that you came through it. You don't know how much hope that gave mm-hmm. us That's and gave exactly us permission right. to s- seek out help. And when, when pastors speak on marriage and things like that, that means you have a perfect marriage. And, and you can tell stories. I mean, you, you don't you don't want to tell stories of you know this morning. You know, I told her I wanted a divorce and things like that. But but when you tell stories, tell stories where you've had a resolve, right? And where yeah. there's been a victory. But you can say, hey, we struggled. We did this. It encourages people. Mm-hmm. And Karen and I went through a time. Uh, our son Brent, who is the CEO of, of XO Marriage, he has Karen's personality more, and our daughter Julie has my personality more. So it was really easy for me to relate to Julie. It was really easy for Karen to relate to Brent. But I had a challenge with Brent. She had a challenge with Julie. And Julie and Karen basically fought all the time. I mean, when <laughs> Julie was growing up. So I I kind of uh, became Julie's defender. And Karen told me, she said, Jimmy, you, you don't see things right when it comes to Julie. Uh, and I don't appreciate the fact that you defend her and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't though I wasn't supportive of Karen. I just understood Julie. Mm-hmm. And I kept trying to be Julie's advocate to Karen. So finally, we had conflict about it, you know, chronically for a long time. I'd say a year. And finally, I said, well, Karen, let's just go to counseling. And uh, we had a, a woman named Ann on our staff who was a real good counselor. And I said, I'll go to Ann. If you go to Ann, whatever she says is, mm-hmm. is the law. And so we went into Ann's office. And of course, she was an employee of mine. And I said, Ann, I'm not here as your boss. I'm here as a is a, a husband and a father, and I said we're gonna we're gonna tell you what is going on, and you're gonna tell us what God is saying. Mm-hmm. So I'm not shopping for advice; I'm submitting to your advice, and whatever you say goes. So I, I told her my side. Karen told her her side, and Ann immediately said, "Jimmy, you're wrong." And I said, "I fire you in the name of Jesus." <laughs> no, I, I said, "Really?" I, it, I mean, I just thought I was right. 
And she said, <laughs> we often do. <laughs> and she said, you're wrong. And I said, really? And she said, you're wrong, Jimmy. She said, the way that, the way that you're dealing with Julie is uh, it probably goes back to your childhood that you see something in Julie that blah, blah, blah. So we left that day and, and I said to Ann, I said, okay, thank you. And I said, Karen, I'm sorry. I said, I, it got, I didn't understand it. And I'm, I'm saying this to say, sometimes you have to submit to counseling, mm -hmm. you know, absolutely. Yeah. Rather than shopping it. Yeah. Cause you know, as a marriage counselor for 41 years, I have people shop my counsel. Well, don't come back. Right. You know, if you're just here to shop my counsel, but the wisest thing, especially when you have somebody that's gifted and experienced is I, I'm not, I'm not objective. Because right, many times right. when you're going through, you're not objective, mm -mm, you know. Nope. So, so I'm, I'm saying. So let's just say Julie. Julie's about to turn 49, so she was probably 15 at that time. So this is many years ago. So today I'm sitting here at older. I was wrong. Mm -hmm. I I was. I mean, I look back. I'm. I was. I was just wrong. wrong. So what I thank God for is if Karen and I would have tried to resolve it ourselves, we'd have never resolved it. Right. It would have been a chronic issue, would have been causing resentment to this day. Yeah. Okay. The second thing is if we would have shopped for advice, I would I would have kept shopping. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd have gone to see Ann and I, Ann would have said, Jimmy, you're the problem. I said, Well, you, you, that's what you say. <laughs> Let's you're, get a second, second opinion. opinion. <laughs> I want an 18th opinion. <laughs> and so the point being, you go to somebody and you submit, and you were talking about you guys went to a place that they specialize in pastors. And you sit there, and that doesn't mean everything they say is God, but it means that we're here because we're hurting, right? And we're not objective, and we need we need to get some input. But I thank God, looking back on it, that we got help. But then we created a culture among our staff where we do pay for them to get counsel. That's right. Yeah, that there is no judgment. And from the pulpit, I, I tell pastors if if people don't know you better after you get through preaching, you're not a good preacher, because part of preaching is telling people about it. Ourselves, yeah. mm -hmm. my struggles, my you know my journey, and think, and it encourages people to do that. So let's let's talk about. We have just a little bit of time left here. What about pressure that you're getting? Maybe a person's on staff uh, of a church, and they're really being put in a situation where they're having to ignore their family to keep their job. Mm. Maybe it's uh, the elders that are pressuring a pastor. And I had a, I had a neighbor, Brent, played baseball with a boy named Tim. And his father was a pastor. Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and say he was a Nazarene pastor, pastor of a Nazarene church. And uh, his name was Harold. And so uh, one day, Harold walked, they lived two doors down from us. Harold walked around the corner to our house with Tim. And I was taking Tim and Brent to a baseball game. And Harold said, hey, I need you to, I need you to pray for me. They're voting on me Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And I said, what? What do you mean they're voting on me? He said, my congregation is voting on me. I said, <laughs> What does that mean? He said, mm -hmm. well, I sit on the platform facing the audience and they take a vote uh, by an open vote by hand, raising hands to see who wants to keep me and who wants to me to, uh, who wants to fire me. And, you know, it has to be like a two thirds majority for me to stay. And he started crying. He said, mm -hmm. this is a grown man my sobbing goodness. on my front yard. And he said, Jimmy, I preach three times a week. I visit everybody in the hospital. I do every funeral. I do every wedding. He said, I counsel everyone here. He said, they won't hire me an assistant. I'm the only pastor on staff. He's sobbing as he's telling me this. He said, I hope they vote me out. Mm. Wow. And I'm saying, so this, this guy is, and he's a wonderful guy. Think of the pressure 
that was on him. Unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. So how do you deal with, well, for example, is it worth losing your job over? It is 100% worth losing your job over. That, exactly. In fact, what I was going to say is, yep. uh, you know, whether you're a senior pastor or any any uh, any level on, on staff and anywhere, your family is more important than, uh, you know, it, and I would say this, and if you don't think your family is not more important than your calling, then your priorities are messed That's up. That's exactly and, right. and you need to get your priorities in order because our, our family is so much more important than our calling. And if you want to lose your calling— Mess up your family. Exactly yeah, right. be, be so focused on what your your career that you're going to lose your family, and, yep. and everything you think is important to you will be be washed away in a moment. Yeah, and we see it all. I mean, you, you were talking about earlier, Leah. We we see it all the time. But I think one of the things as leaders, I, I would say two things that I think are really important. Number one, we've got to bake in enough rest. That's right. Um, and that means a Sabbath. You know, Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. If you're not taking a day off probably with your spouse. And that doesn't mean you don't have a hobby or do something, but have time together. I mean, if Kim and I didn't have Sabbaths, we, we would not be able to survive. And Sabbath, Sabbath for pastors is not Sunday. No, no, no. Nope. Sunday's a work day. Sunday's a work day. Absolutely. So for us, Sabbath is Friday. Friday yeah. is our, our Sabbath. So we start usually on Thursday night. Phones are off, no meetings, no ministry. And I mean, every now and again, there's something, of course, but most of the time our, our Sabbath are very sacred to us. So have that rest. Uh, that you can have for, and then also have a healthy structure of accountability. And, you know, we, at our, at Trinity, we have oversight elders, meaning out of yep. our elder group, there are non-staff elders that are my direct oversight. And of course, you and I had that relationship for many years. Um, and at any given time, Kim can call those guys and say, hey, we need help. Um, and they're asking Kim, how's, how's y'all's marriage? How's your relationship? How, how, are, how are things going? And then we do the same thing for our staff. You know, it's a normal question for me to be asking my senior leaders, hey, how are you guys doing? And, and if you can't be in relationship enough, quite frankly, to know how people are doing, yeah. then you're, you, you might need to look for another, another yeah. situation. Okay. But having, leaning into that accountability and making sure we get enough rest are just really key to helping us have healthy, healthy relationships. Yeah, yeah it, it's just... The, as, as Hill was saying, if the devil can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you mm -hmm. too fast. That's right. And if you if if you cannot if you don't have enough time, now, I say this, and we were having I think this was before the show. One of you was telling the story about a guy that requires three nights a week. His yeah yeah his, I was talking uh, about his that. staff. Well, so here's here's a measure that I use. You need five nights at home with your family every week. Hmm. Do not be out more than two nights a week with ministry. Five nights at home, and you need a day and a half to two days at home. Uh, and it depends on, you know, the, the schedule, of course, but my Sabbath is on Friday mm -hmm. and, uh, and Karen and I spend most nights at home now because, you know, we're, we're older and don't have as much activity in the church like yeah. that. But when we did have activity in the church, it was two nights and we had two days at home as a family and we were fine. Mm -hmm. And when yeah. I went to church, I was rested, we had a good marriage, you know, our family was doing well. And, but, but when you're, when you don't, when you don't have things right at home and you're feeling pressure from elders or people, whatever, have you had that? Link? Yeah. Well, I'm a firm believer that uh, God will never ask you to sacrifice your family in order to fulfill your call. That's, That's for sure. sure. So if you ever find yourself in a That's situation right. where you're, you're feeling required to do that, something's off. It's yeah. not the Lord. It might be what, uh, if you're not a senior pastor, you're working for somebody, it may be that. Uh, they're putting undue pressure on you, like you just talked about, but that's never going to be a God thing. Um, we planted our church at 25. We had two small children. We started from ground zero. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any people, but we had a, a call from God. 
And uh, I made uh, a determination right from the beginning that I'm grateful that I did. I said, uh, number one, uh, Fridays is going to be our day, our date day. That's our Sabbath day, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And if I ever violate that for a wedding, it's going to be because Jane approves it. And at that time, our kids were small. So Mm -hmm. it was, I called it Jane's day because we did what she wanted to do. It's like go shopping, go to Panera, do whatever, sleep in late, go for walks. But it was our Sabbath. The other thing that I uh, determined was I was not going to be gone more than three nights a week. And that was including Wednesday night service. Mm So three three nights was the max. And the other one was no matter what was going on, what was what was left on my desk, because you know, when you're a pastor, especially a church planter, there is always something. Oh, yeah. So I said at five at five thirty every day, no matter what. I go home and I'm going to have dinner with the kids. I'm going to put them to bed and I'm going to pray over them. We're going to read. We're going to do whatever, watch TV, you know, play with the kids, whatever. And so we set those parameters early on in ministry and we held to those. And I believe that it it actually paid off and gave stability to our family, it gave relief to Jane. It gave stability to our kids and it made sure that I didn't kill myself trying yeah, to trying right. to build the church. Well, during the busiest years of the church, Karen and I, we had the same, we, we woke up every morning and walked together for an hour and a half. And we talked for 45 minutes. We prayed for 45 minutes. We did that every morning. We had date night every, every week. We had uh, times to depart. One of the things that we did that we look back on that was so wise. Now, we didn't have any money. We were broke. But we would have every five to six weeks, we would have a couple of days that we would go to a motel. Mm. Not, a, not a hotel. Not a hotel. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be clear. Tell. We literally, we would, we would like put together our food and everything, you know, and we would literally walk into a motel room. Crockpot. <laughs> I mean, we, we were like the campus. <laughs> and we would, we would literally close the door and we would walk back out there two later. And just be in heaven. Yeah, that's good. Just mm-hmm. talk and be together and have sex and just on it. But we always had that on our calendar. And we, and we didn't have any money, so we would just say, it's going to cost us $100. We'd put the kids with my parents or something like that, and we would save $100 so we could go stay in this $30 a night motel <laughs> <laughs> and have enough money. So, but, but having it on the calendar was something that we knew we had this coming mm-hmm. up, and we're going to have undivided attention each other's undivided attention, work on our marriage like this, but it's disciplines and traditions. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you said. I'm going to go home at 5.30. Friday's going to be our date day. We, it's disciplines and traditions. It's not good intentions. That's right. That's and it's right. not words. You can say, oh, well, my marriage is first. So, so this is another thing I say. Ask your spouse and your children, are you okay? And is there anything that needs to be changed? Mm. And if you're afraid to ask that question, you have something wrong. That's yeah. right. Okay. Because with Karen, I'll say to Karen, are you okay? And that code language for anything need to change. Mm-hmm. If if anything needed to change in my life, I'll change it in a heartbeat for her. Hmm. She she comes first. If if she, if I'm not happy at home with her, we got problems. That's right. You know, in, in a lot of different areas. And you said I can't remember which one when you said that the the devil celebrates. Yeah. The failure of pastors, uh, and when we make mistakes, and it begins at home. It, when when you make mistakes, and I was telling you guys on another podcast. I had this sex trafficking, this human trafficking guy on the show. And he said, if you fix your marriage, you'll fix everything else in society. Mm -hmm. He said, if you have a Christ-centered life and a strong marriage, you fix everything else in society. But everything that's broken in society is because of Jesus and marriage, broken marriages. So Mm -hmm. it's the same way in the church. 
you fix marriage, uh, you fix your marriage and your family, then you have the authority to do that for other people. You, and, and Trinity, of course, in Amarillo, and your churches, we're marriage-building churches. That's right. That's uh, we're right. about to come to your church for an XO conference. Yep. And so it's very intentional. And, and you, when you have a marriage-building church and a church that honors marriage, the senior pastor, the staff, the leadership, the congregation, <clears throat> you have... You're building. You're building it for war. This is called Built for War podcast. What are your final thoughts, Jimmy, on this? Well, it's just it's so important, obviously, that we prioritize our our family and our our spouses. The the one thing that I would add, you know, Kim and I very much work together. She's a senior executive pastor, so right. she's literally on our team. So the one thing I would add that we maybe didn't cover so far is just the importance of she and I had to work out some boundaries. Hmm. Um, just so that we could make sure that work stopped because, you know, we, we would That's be at good. work and, and so meetings could last till 10 o'clock at night, you know. And so we recognized, okay, we're going to we're gonna meet and then we're just going to stop because we could talk about ministry yeah. forever. I mean, yeah. it could never, it could go on forever. And, and so doing that, but also, you know, one of the things we ended up doing was trying to set our time to where we didn't go into the office till 10. Um, and because that, and we just told the staff, you know, and it's a little bit different right now because we got some staff out, but when they get back, we're going to go back to that tent. That way we have time in the morning. So we're starting together and we're ending together yeah. uh, every day. That's good. Oh, Especially that's, working together. That's really good. Tim is very much involved. Very much, very deeply in, involved. In the church does, does a great job. But that is, that is something because it can, well, you can blur the lines of your marriage mm -hmm. or it's all business. Right. Yep. You know, and, and you end up not having a marriage. Well, we hope that this has been helpful to you. And every every month when we come back to you on these uh, Bill for War podcasts, these are very honest conversations about real issues. And we'll be back again next month talking about some some more very, very important issues. And we hope this is helpful to you. Now, BillForWar.com is a subscription website. It's $15 a month. You get weekly articles from me as well as the full podcast here. This only comes to our paid subscribers, the full podcast only comes to our paid subscribers. So $15 a month, I hope that you'll become a subscriber. We also have our Excel Leadership Forum. This is Lee, Jimmy, John Chastain, myself, teaching you about leadership. You know, this is a three-day uh, event, uh, about 90 people. We limit it to about 90 people, so it can be more intimate. It's very interactive. Uh, it's not just teaching. It's a lot of sharing, a lot of Q&A. And so these are regularly, we have these here at our Excel uh, XL Marriage Building in South Lake, Texas, regularly go to xlleadershipforum.com and you can get more information about that. But I hope that you'll come to one. It's, it's a very, very relational experience, but some veteran leaders teaching you about leadership, whatever position you're in, will teach you how to be better and how to have a church that's built for work. God bless you. We'll see you next time.